Hey folks, welcome back to Can't Make It A Podcast. Can't make it a baby. That's right, Super Doc. I'm the Chief. You just heard the man, the Super Doc. What's up, Chief? It's all good. We're in the new studio and we got the one and only bourbon-based barbecue sauce B-dub mixing it up. What's going on? All right, guys. Man, it's a beautiful day in the oh, neighborhood. What's going on? Got NFL playoffs rolling. Yeah, yeah. We got the TV going in the new studio. But we got a special guest today. We do. We do. Man, let's welcome into the studio Matt Langwell, professional baseball player, now financial advisor. Welcome, yeah. Matt. Thank you. Glad to be here. I don't know if we just got lucky getting this one or if Matt's just acting like he likes us or if he just felt sorry for us. I think we get lucky a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we got lucky with our wives. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure luck plays a big part in our lives. <laughs> yeah, I talked to Matt at uh, Rotary Club. We're in Rotary. Well, I'm joining Rotary. I'm not an official member yet, but talked to him at uh, Rotary a couple weeks ago and uh, invited him on the podcast and he said absolutely I'd love to come do that so yep yep I played uh, golf with him a couple of times out on Wednesday nights at the country club and uh, man just uh, glad to get you in the studio yeah appreciate the invite and looking forward to hanging out for a little while uh, with the football going in the background and uh, good time of the year. Nice weather outside today, so excited to be here. No doubt. So g- give us a little background of uh, where you grew up and, and kind of how you ended up here in Rockville. Yeah, so I, I was born and raised in Bryan College Station. Uh, went to a Consolidated High School. Now there's, I don't know, four, five, six high schools there. But uh, when I was going, there was just Bryan High and a Consolidated. So I went to the one in College Station and uh, graduated there in 2004. And when I graduated... I signed to go play baseball at Sam Houston State, and so I was over at Sam Houston for two years and had a Tommy John surgery my second year, and whenever I was coming back from that, uh, we had just built a a nice new stadium over there, but I was able to get a release from there because my head coach got fired, and there was no uh, transfer issues where I would have to sit out, and at that point, I was able to transfer over to Rice University, and that's where I finished up my, my college baseball and drafted by... Cleveland Indians in 2008 and I was in their farm system for about six years before I I made it up to the major leagues uh, with Cleveland I had Terry Francona it was his first year over there so pretty pretty neat that was who I got called up by um, was Francona and his staff and then at the trade deadline I was actually traded over to the Diamondbacks and went to go play for Kirk Gibson so kind of back to the Wayne Graham style of coaching when I went over to Arizona (laughs) from a a really good players manager uh, at one place to you know, pretty old school, hard nosed guy. Another, and uh, I had my first child in '14, and that's when I decided to stop playing. I uh, had a semester left at Rice and went back, and graduated from there after about seven years off and a six month old. It was a, uh, you know, quite the transition back into school. Took the job with Edward Jones in December of that year, and uh, been with Edward Jones for seven years now. Started in College Station, had a had an office there for five years. And then had an opportunity in Rockdale. Terry Browning had been here for about 30 years and was going to be retiring out of the business. I uh, was looking for someone to, to fill the, the office here. His daughter wanted to be in College Station. Uh, my in-laws are from Cameron, and we wanted the country life in, in small town. So my wife and I decided to make the move over, uh, live over in Milano now, and, and make okay. the, the drive into Rockdale. And you know, <coughs> I haven't looked back. We've got both our little girls over here, and, and they'll be going to – 
Milano School District, and, and yeah, we're really enjoying it. Cool. You say your in-laws from Cameron. Who are your in-laws? So my my father-in-law is Brian Cobb. Okay, and, uh, the Cobb family. Yes, sir. And yeah. and his uh, his dad and his uh, his uncle were uh, the original farmers of their, you know, what now is a, a pretty large family farm, but uh, Durwood and Calvin Cobb. I went to school here in Rockdale, and I. Friend, she was just a friend, Lisa Cobb, Lisa Cobb mm-hmm. from Cameron. Mm-hmm. That's part of that family, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And they've got some Rockdale ties. Uh, one of my father-in-law's brothers is married to a, a girl from Rockdale. Okay. Yeah. So da- David is married to to a lady from Rockdale. I see. I yes, see. Sir. So them, them Cameron folks and Rockdale folks, every now and then they get married. <laughs> Not very often, though. I got one. I got one married a Cameron boy. I know. Every now and then. <laughs> no, uh, we like our we like our our friends across the river. We but do. You always got to give them a little 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 trouble. Oh yeah, that, that that friendly rivalry still exists, right? It does. Nothing wrong with that. So I I, I was kind of looking through. Uh, Kind of where you started out at, at Sam Houston, then you went to Rice, and and I didn't. So that was that gap that you didn't play in 2006, right? Where I, I didn't know exactly why. So you had Tommy Johns, yes, sir. Uh, so A and M never was on the radar, never really had an opportunity there, or just really wanted to go somewhere else. Yeah, so I, I mean, I would have loved to to play for A and M. When I was in high school, I I didn't play baseball competitively, just in the school year. So. In the summers, I traveled and played basketball, AAU basketball, and so I, you know, I think my junior year I probably pitched eight or ten innings, and and baseball, and that was it. My senior year, uh, Sam Houston signed me, and, and no one really knew why they signed me to baseball scholarship. You know, I hadn't really been playing much uh, for the high school team, so they signed me. And my first year to play year-round baseball was that first year in college, and that's when I ended up tearing my Tommy Jonathan in the summer. Nice parents, you hearing that? Out there, you, did you hear that? Your kid ain't got to play baseball every minute of the day to be a baseball player. <laughs> that is that just shocked me, Matt. Mm-hmm. That part of your story that is really neat. But you know, there's a lot of really good athletes that didn't they weren't didn't even play a sport. Some didn't even play it in high school to go to college. I mean, it's it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the stories that you hear as those athletes become superstars, and they're like. Yeah, they didn't play in high school. They played their senior year just to play. And, I mean, there was a girl with Alabama softball. This was a few years ago. She she played one year of baseball her senior year. Didn't even play softball and got a scholarship to Alabama to play softball. <laughs> I'll be damned. She was an unbelievable athlete. She played yeah. other sports, evidently. <laughs> but that just goes to show you that's just – it's crazy. I mean, right. you can't – you can – you can coach them, you can teach them, but you either got it or you don't have it, right? That's it. They're, they're going to find you, you know, especially yeah. in today's world. Uh, it's easier and easier for them to, to find you and scout you. And a lot of times in, in the baseball world, they don't even need to see you. They look at what the computer spit out and, you know, what's your exit velocity, what's your spin rate from the pitcher's side of things, and they'll decide on that, whether they want to look at you any further. We uh... – interviewed our neighbor Vincent Jimenez. I don't know if you know Vincent. Vincent grew up here in Rockdale, graduated from Rockdale High School, went straight to the Atlanta Braves uh, Farm League. And he was telling the story when he was 12 years old down here at the Rockdale Little League field. The game was over and he was in line to get his snow cone. And Vincent was a bigger kid, you know, as a young young man. He was a big boy. 
And uh, he said this guy came up to him and handed him his card. And he's like, looked at him, he goes, sir, I, I, I just want to get my snow cone. You know, yeah. I'm 12 year old kid, I want my snow cone. He said it was Red Murph who was there, I guess, scouting him, yeah. even at that young of an age. Yeah, unbelievable. With the Blue Jays, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He said, I, he said, I kept that card for a long He said, I didn't really know at the time. He said, later on, they're like, but he's like, I didn't care. Yeah, Vincent was a Vincent was a really good player and, and he, he was a good he was a good good interview because he talks about, you know, not going to college and going straight, you know. Mm-hmm. You would always do something different if you had the chance a lot of times and, and he kinda had some of that a little bit. Yeah, that's uh when you get into that pro ball world and you see guys that are in his situation, they're seventeen, eighteen and having to step out and They've never done a load of laundry on their own. They've never had to make a meal on their own, uh, much less go ride around on a bus with a bunch of people from all over the world that come from all different backgrounds. And, you know, a lot of times those high school guys, they just they never leave that, that high school group of friends. They've never had to kind of communicate outside of just their hometown where they're real comfortable. And it's a, it's a tough schedule to be thrown into on a tough road because those lower levels of the minor leagues are – Long seasons. You're oh, playing yeah. about a – I think my first year we played 142 games in 148 days with a three-day all-star break Man. <laughs> included in that. And in our in our league, we went it from Lake Erie to the Atlanta, to the Gulf of Mexico. We were, we were all the way outside of Cleveland to Augusta, Georgia in the same league. So you'd play – you know, we'd, we'd have a home game. We'd get on the bus at midnight at – Two in the afternoon the next day, we'd wind up at a stadium that we're playing at seven that night. Wow. And you're just trying to sleep on a little Greyhound bus. There's one bus. You're partnered up next to people. and It's a it's long, long season. And, and those high school guys that, you know, that they've never been in any situation outside of comfort, uh, it, it's pretty uncomfortable. I bet so. That's a huge learning curve for them. Absolutely. Uh, and a lot of freedom. So a lot of them struggle with that because they, they, get, they get all this freedom and they get a little bit of spare time and they, they, they do things they shouldn't do. Vincent didn't do that, but you see a lot of them. I know we know some that have that, yeah. that, that yeah. struggle with that end of it, you know, the alcohol, the drugs. I mean, it's just it's, – it's a party, you That's know. Right. It can be. Mm-hmm. It's whatever you make it, you know, just like life, right? Absolutely. But – Talk to me about uh, when you're at Rice. You played in two World Series, two Collegiate World Series, yes, sir. in Omaha. Mm-hmm. And what years? 2007 Omaha, 2008 Omaha. That's I've never been to a game in Omaha, and that's been on my bucket list to go to World Series in in Omaha, but hadn't hadn't got to yet. But that so that was on the old field, the old stadium, that's right? Rosenblatt, Rosenblatt Stadium, yeah. That atmosphere over there, is it really as special and as neat as it they make it look like on TV? Yeah, so it's you, you get there and your first thing's opening ceremonies and they basically shut down that part of the of the town of Omaha and you have vendors everywhere and, and people parking all over the streets and in people's front yards selling parking spaces and um, they just kind of pick a team and root for them. Well, when we got there, we're, we're such a small school that – we had a big following in Omaha because we weren't one of these big teams and we didn't carry a lot of people into the stadium. So um, I, I don't know if it's locals that kind of rallied behind us. I'm guessing it was because we'd have a live atmosphere there and, and that stadium probably fit 20, 
25,000 people and we'd have half the stadium and it's definitely not our alumni because we, we don't have that many right, people at right. Rice. I mean, we were tiny back then. Um, so it was a really neat, uh, fun environment, loud. Every game sold out. Uh, but that that opening ceremonies is finished off with probably a 45-minute firework show and you're out yeah. on the field and they announce you. And it, it's, it's very special. Um, electric stadium all the time. It can be really really hot on those day games um you know that time of the year same thing we get lucky coming from houston we we play in that super hot uh in those regional super yeah. regionals but um you know that that's one thing that you got to watch out for there dehydration and stuff up in omaha but as far as um the feel and the atmosphere compared to anywhere else you play in college baseball uh maybe olsen field and college station in a regular season game with a team like Rice coming in there midweek, it was pretty loud there. Yeah, um, but but not to the capacity of of that stadium and Rosenblatt because there was bleachers all the way around the whole whole field and yeah, it was pretty awesome. That's got to be really cool and special to be somewhat adopted by the hometown, the Rice Owls, yeah. somewhat adopted by the hometown people and cheering for you. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because you know if not, and we're playing the LSU's and Texas of of college sports, <laughs> we would be overwhelmed by their fans um and and so it gave us kind of a fair battle whenever we got the hometown rallying that leads me to another question i've always and i guess it's depends on the individual the crowd can get in a player's head is that a fair statement it's very fair um i think from a from a position player standpoint not so much maybe whenever you're at bat um if you're in the field and you start booting some balls and they start kind of yapping at you yeah. uh, from a pitcher standpoint i know i've seen people crumple at olsen field just being from college station when <laughs> when they start yelling if you walk someone in, in four pitches and they start yelling ball five ball it gets five. pretty darn loud I could, yeah i've, I've seen there. some people <laughs> have to get pulled from the game for that i figured it's, yeah. you let you let the crowd get in your head you know it's, we were uh interviewing uh ryan cowboy carl professional yeah. boxer yeah. and he said and that was a question i asked him he said in the boxing ring, you start listening to the crowd, that's when you get knocked out. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. And, and it's kind of, you know, that's your knockout blow, I guess, in baseball. You're, you're not lasting so. long in the game right. uh, if you start letting that get to you. But, you know, and, and even going up to the major league level, at that point you put in so much work that if you can avoid letting those distractions get in, when you step up on that mound, it's 60 feet, 6 inches, and – it's the same ball game. It's just on a little bit higher level. Um, if you can make that your mindset, you, you're going to have a chance to put yourself in success on the field. Um, I played in some rowdy stadiums. You know, Detroit, we were rivals with them, and, and that was awesome. Our bullpen was right there, and they were ragging us and wearing <laughs> us out. And it was, you know, that atmosphere is really fun to play in. Uh, but, yeah, if you don't have the right mindset, you can put yourself in a bad place. So, so talking about that, going to the next level from college, then you go through the minors, and you finally make it up to major leagues. And so the batters there, I mean, as a pitcher, every guy is really good. Mm -hmm. And so you, there's not like an off – you can't take a pitch – you can't take a, a batter series off. You've got to be fully locked in every every single at bat. Yeah, that's right. So you do um, – you have to know what your strengths are even more than any other level you're going to play on probably tenfold. 
because what you don't want to do is is know that a guy can he's good on a fastball away so you just avoid that pitch if that's your number one pitch you, you can't let that settle in but at the same time you have a scouting report that's fills up a three inch binder on on the team so you have tons and tons of information on them you need to know what you look at so i i came out of the bullpen i looked at what do they do on a first pitch if there's runners in scoring position how aggressive are they i really want to know what have they done that day and what have they done in the last five games because like we talked about the crowd can get in your head well when a batter is in a slump you know they're seeing a little golf ball up there well in the last five games it doesn't matter where they're at in the lineup if they're hitting 500 they're seeing a beach ball right now so yeah. you need to be careful exactly. so you have to know what parts of the report you want are important to you so would you study those reports the day before the, you know you you prepare for each uh let's say you play a team you're gonna play them three or four times <laughs> in a row mm-hmm. uh, you're not gonna pitch that many games unless you're a reliever right. uh so you would prepare. I mean, you got to know all these different teams. That's a lot of, you know, you got to prepare a lot, right? Or, I mean, so a lot of times you're going to have a uh, pitchers and catchers and then pitching coach meeting before the series. Um, and then that's when they go over some of that stuff. And inside of the game, if the starter was cruising, I didn't, you know, I didn't worry about it much. If he started uh, getting into some trouble, Especially if it was maybe a left-handed starter, I kind of started looking at where's the next righty bat that uh, we might need a ground ball on. I was a sinker ball pitcher, so you know a guy that lifts the ball. If we got a lefty starter, I'm probably going to come in against him, and I start looking at well, if this guy gets on and this guy gets on, and then he's coming up, you know what what has he been doing? First pitch, what's he been doing with runners in scoring position? Last five games, uh, what has he done tonight? What has he done in the series? And you start kind of analyzing that. And then in the bullpen, your last few pitches, you make your at-bat against him. Um, and then you go in, and I've already beat him in right. the bullpen. So, you know, it might not translate on the field, but in my head, I've beat him already in the yeah. bullpen, and now yeah. I'm getting my double play ball. Or, I, you know, I'm getting him to, to get out, and I'm getting us out of this jam. So that's kind of within the game where I'd, I'd start breaking down who am I going to – Potentially face. So, so more relievers do that type. I mean, I, I know they still study, but that's more of what they do where a starter needs to be prepared before the game. Yeah, so the, the starters are watching film of, for sure, the last three to four starts that they had against um, whoever they were facing, plus probably what did they do most recent against the pitcher that you match up against. What, who do you – what starter have they faced recently that throws the same pitches as you? What did they do against them? How did that starter attack them? Um, and they're just watching it um, on replay with, you know, as, as many times as they need to. And they're looking at every at-bat that they have had maybe in the last 10 games and then how many at-bats they have against people with their stuff. How were they attacked? What did they do against it? Uh, maybe try to find a hole that way. And the good thing is, too, in, in the major leagues, if you have a veteran catcher – you can kind of turn your brain off as a rookie pitcher because you're not going to sit there and shake him off. So, you know, if you got yeah. a good catcher back there, he knows the reports better he, than you he's, do. He's calling the pitches he's, for yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> Just you know, do what I tell you I, to do. I played a winter ball in Puerto Rico, and Yadier Molina shows up to catch for us for a couple of weeks <laughs> preparing for the World Baseball Classic. 
Well, I knew what a pitch I was throwing, whatever he threw. Just down. Whatever he called. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to analyze anything. I just kind of showed good. up and threw whatever he put down. And Yadier's still in the league, isn't still he? Still going. Yeah, yeah I, I think this is maybe his last year. Is it? Coming up. Okay. He is uh, – how old is Yadier? Is he in his late 30s, yeah. maybe 40? Yeah, that would be about what he is. He might be 40 now, um, but unbelievable. Uh, work ethic is awesome. He's, he's big on uh, – teaching young players the right way to play the game. That's wonderful. Um, he showed up at the field at probably noon every day, and it was 105 degrees down there, and he got every young catcher around and had them working drills and, and teaching them. And, um, to get us into the playoffs, he was paying bounties for RBIs and home runs and really? winning pitchers and saves so that everybody was ultra-focused and uh, actually pushed us into the playoffs whenever he showed up and – and brought that mindset to the team. So we were, we were kind of behind and, and made a big run. And, um, yeah, unreal to watch a guy like that. That's impressive. He's 39 years old. 39 years old. Yeah. Born July 13, 1982. <laughs> you did a little research real quick, didn't <laughs> real you? Real quick, like <laughs> The upgrade to the studio brought us some, a, a few upgrades. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> no fiber optics yet, though. <laughs> no, we weren't. Man, good Lord, don't bring that up. <laughs> We could have an hour show on hey, <laughs> shitty internet. <laughs> I got a question. It's kind of a it's probably it's not going to catch you off guard, but more so in the college leagues, I've always wondered. Let's say a, a pitcher gets in a bind, mm-hmm. and the bullpen's not prepared for this pitcher to get in a bind. That happens sometimes, right? It's yeah. all of a sudden, oh shit, we're in a bind. C- coach or manager comes out and typically has his back to the umpire at home plate. And gathered up with the pitcher on the mound and the catcher and whoever else from the infield. And they talk, talk, talk. It seems like I always wonder, does the coach tell those players, like, hey, when Blue starts walking out here, I'm going to turn and walk off, so give me a signal if he's walking out here. Or do they typically just wait for him to get out there? Because it seems like so many times – the umpire almost gets there and the head the manager just turns and walks away like yeah. somebody gave him the signal. So it depends on situation. With Graham, if it was the fact of you getting in trouble and he needed someone to warm up, he'd sit out there as long as he could. Yeah. You know, and he didn't even care if the umpire walked out there. It was you know, he was getting to he was about to get ejected before he'd go back to give that guy as much time as he could. Um sometimes they're just trying to communicate something. If it takes till they're walking out there, then it takes till they're walking out there. If he thinks that, you know, you need a breather and to calm down, then he'll stay a little longer. And typically he's kind of eyeballing back and forth, not a not necessarily a, a signal, but he's just – he'll look back there every once in a while. If his back was turned until they got out there and then he turned immediately to them, he thought that they were not doing a good job and he was oh, waiting that, for them. Oh, he and was he wasn't even saying me. anything for, to us. You know, he was just – sitting there and, and under his breath, you know, he's just really <laughs> frustrated <laughs> and waiting on them. And then he'd give them an earful and then he'd go back. So it was all situation. But, yeah, there, yeah. there's a lot of times that he waited all the way. And as soon as they got there, you know, he just let into them. And uh, <laughs> he was so respected that the umpires didn't even say anything back. Most of the time they just kind of put their head down and went back to the plate. Took and, their butt chewing. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Man. He he could take a long time to get to the mound though, couldn't he? Was Absolutely. He slow or not? Absolutely. You didn't know if you're getting pulled or what, because it just slow every time. <laughs> That's right. And he could he could act that way with with age. He could go as slow as he wanted and get them a lot of extra pitches down that bullpen, and they'd never make him hurry up. <laughs> oh man, yeah, some good times. Good time with old Wayne Graham. That's right, man. Wayne he was a, he's a legend. 
That's it. Yeah, one of a kind. So he was a uh, he's coached a a lot of unbelievable players, and uh, in that year, all treated about the same. He he tries to get the most out of you. Um, he's not one that that really tells you when you're doing good, but you know he he just tries to make you better. So it's he he picks the smallest little thing and tries to have you improve on it, and he just uh, gets on to you and gets on to you and gets on to you, but. You know, he really is seeing the the big picture and the full potential. And if you're not meeting it, man, he's a he's a frustrated manager at that point. Oh, no doubt. You know, nowadays he probably could coach with the transfer portals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just oh were, yeah. I mean, everybody's so soft and their yeah. feelings get hurt so easy. He would it, it would be a struggle, I would think. For yeah, him. he he had to have some young assistants towards the end because his disconnect with this generation was pretty severe. <laughs> Generational disconnect. <laughs> I could see yeah. that. Yeah. I, I'm pretty disconnected with some of them these days now too. Don't it doesn't make sense, but. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we were we were kind of in that. I mean, I had guys on my team that they didn't know how to play for someone like that. Yeah. Uh, I grew up playing for people like that. It was just an, another coach or manager for me. I just expected them to be hard on me and you know just take it and, and try to do better. And that's it. That's how you're gonna get good. That's right. You got to be pushed. That's, that's right. what I was always taught. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what what was probably your highlight of your major league career? Uh, my highlight was. I was in uh, in Detroit, and Miguel Cabrera was coming off a Triple Crown year, and he was leading the Triple Crown again, and I, I faced him. And I uh, I got ahead of him. I, it was kind of the same thing. I came out of the bullpen knew exactly how I was going to pitch him. I needed to uh, get a first pitch slider in, got it in, come back with a changeup. He could see it one time. He'd make an adjustment, but if you, if you threw it right the first time, you could get it by him. So I was quick 0-2. And uh, they called a high fastball, and I threw one high, and it ended up sailing up and in. And he slammed his bat on the ground and started walking towards me. And I did. I, mean, I was like 28 at this point. It, it wasn't like I was 22. I, <laughs> right. I didn't really care. I just stood there, and if he wanted to come, he wanted to come, and we'd figure it out. And <laughs> sure. uh, so Prince Fielder runs from on deck circle and wraps him up, and our bench start jabbing at him, and they're screaming back and forth, and I'm just standing there waiting for the everything to get back, and I can. Go to my next one-two pitch. So, um, one-two, I throw something way outside, and he watches it. And then, as a sinker ball pitcher, probably the the pitch that if you can execute it will always get someone out is um, either to a lefty, you throw it at their front hip and run it back on the plate, or to a righty, you throw it way out in that left-handed batter's box and bring it back. And I threw one and just executed it perfect, and it started in that lefty batter's box and ran back over. And before the catcher caught it, I was walking off the field. And you knew you had he, he rung him up, and he slammed his helmet down and stuff went everywhere. And, and so that was pretty pretty cool moment for me uh, was, was getting him looking after he had jawed and come out. And, and he knew I was a rookie, and he was it was more an intimidation thing and hope I slip up and throw one over the plate and he exactly. cream it. And, and luckily I didn't give in to it and then came back on the – on the one two and got him. That's a cool story. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. cool yeah. story. Come yeah. on with yeah. it. <laughs> but really don't come. <laughs> now nah, you're twenty eight, you're ready yeah. to roll. Nah, I yeah, thought I you were gonna tell us you put him in old Nolan Ryan headlock and <laughs> started working on him. Oh uh, I mean that I would have tried to. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't blame you. I'd be I'd stay there and just wait. That way yeah. if he gets there You'd be ready to do something, but don't make right. no sense of meeting him halfway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what reason for me to go after him. <laughs> oh man. Gosh. So uh 
What's probably the the coolest stadium you played in? Um, the one that I liked the most. So <clears throat> when I was in Cleveland, I didn't get to play. I, I was up for about a probably a third to, to a half a season up at the top level. So in Cleveland, I didn't get to play everywhere in our um, division. But when I was traded to Diamondbacks, I got to go play in the NL West. So I could play in, in San Diego and Colorado. Colorado was cool. I was playing at a mile high. It was Todd Helton's last year. He's about to retire, Hall of Famer. Um, got to face him with Peyton Manning was a close friend. Peyton was there. It was his last home stand. Um, so I got to face him in Denver. So that was a pretty loud atmosphere because there was tons of people there. Um, who was it? Kicks Brooks came in and sang the national anthem. It was, uh, yeah, it was just a really oh, wow. neat deal. But uh, my first away series when I got to the major leagues was in New York at Yankee Stadium. And so I'd gone from grinding in the minor leagues for six and a half years. And then two days in the big leagues, I flew into New York. Um, when we got there, we didn't have like a, a private jet or anything. We flew on a commercial airline, but it was just us on the airlines. We went to the private airports and stuff. So they picked us up and, and took us a hotel. And we got there. At that point, when I got called up with Cleveland, we had signed Nick Swisher, who was a pretty big veteran. We also had Jason Giambi, who was in year 22 or 23 of his career. Um, and both of those guys had played in New York, so they loved going back. Um, Yankee Stadium is is really cool for the uh, people that come back. Right field chants their name at the first inning until they turn around and give them a tip of the cap, and um, they welcome them back. Well, the clubhouse loved both of those guys, so we show up, and there is, I mean, a spread that you've never seen at a field before, and I'm coming off peanut butter and jellies, and I'm going, this is unbelievable. <laughs> this is what this is like. You know, this is what these guys get every single day. Uh, we had probably – 15 chefs and there was sushi lines and lobsters and homemade pizza and what whatever you can think of was sitting in the clubhouse and i man my mind was just blown and uh it was just the first day and the first time that you come of the year they they kind of go you know welcome to yankee stadium here's here's what we can do um and then after that it went to normal uh pre-game stuff but that first day first road trip went into new york and uh, they were at the new stadium, but they brought a lot of the stuff over from the old stadium. So I went early a couple of days just to kind of walk around the stadium and, and see that history and the monuments out in the center. And um, so that was a neat deal. Dodger Stadium had a ton of history. It was cool to, to go there. Kershaw, um, he was out running early one day when I went out there. So I got to talk to him. He's a Texas boy. He committed to A&M. Oh, okay. So we, we talked and stuff, and uh, and that was a fun series getting to play there. They smoked us, but – <laughs> you know, it's cool to be in a stadium like that. Yeah. Same thing in Yankees Stadium. So, uh, getting to go there, it was Mariano Rivera's last year. He closed out the first two games against us, and we lost. And then CC Sabathia threw a complete game. We got swept, and I was just thinking, man, that's one of the coolest things I've ever watched in the three-game series. And they just whooped us. <laughs> we didn't win. Yeah. We didn't yeah. win. But I got to, you know, we all stood up and watched Mariano warm up, and then the Sandman came on. The stadium went crazy, and just unbelievable to see that. You know what what he brought to that to that field was was something that was really special. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. It's good to hear those stories, man. Yeah. That's I know. That's I so know. neat. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I guess let's transition to now. Uh, you you've done all the major league stuff. Uh, you got your kids, and mm -hmm. and you're back here in Milano. I just cut yeah. out or something. No, guess not. Sounded no. like kicked out for a second. So you're back here and and living in Milano, working in Rockdale. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing for the community here because I know you're really involved and, and you got some neat things going. Yeah, so I I mean, I tried to plug myself in. I 
with everybody else, COVID was, was pretty unique to my transition. So I, I left College Station and came over here. And in my second week of inheriting a book of business, COVID hit and shut everything down. So for probably the first year of my uh, office over here, I didn't really get to meet a single person. I talked to most of my clients over the phone and markets were going crazy. So we had a lot of phone calls and couldn't get them in the office. We were, you know, we were shut out for people coming in. So yeah. it was a, uh, it was a weird time. Uh, but I've now been able to, we've got rotary going again, like Ward said. So getting involved in rotary, uh, trying to do whatever I can there, uh, out at the golf course, just, you know, I try to donate stuff whenever they have events out there. Um, just trying to do whatever we can to, to promote the community, help the community. I did the same thing in college station. I was lions club member over there and tried to you know, raise a bunch of money and, and help out whoever approached us. Um, and that, that's my goal for over here is to, is to do the same thing through Rotary. Um, I, I'm enjoying it a lot so far. It's a great group of people. Um, Certainly is. They've been around here for, it seems like a long time, doing a lot of, a lot of good in the community. So yep. in Milano, um, we've got kind of the volunteer fire department that we do fundraisers for and stuff like that and try to do um, any community stuff I can uh, over there. But you know, Rockdale has got so much more of a presence. There's not not a whole lot over in Milano to to volunteer with. Um, but I will I'll be at any of the Rotary events I can um, here. And then, yeah, with the office and the, and the transition, it's just you know wh- whoever we can help. Uh, we've got three of us here in town now. Uh, we've got Jason Jenkins in the office with me, who's a you know just transitioning into this business as of probably two years ago, and and he's doing well. So it's uh you know three of us just kind of tackle the community um for for being able to help people on that side of life um on the financial side as much as we can and then with the family we're just you know it's been really nice getting over here right before covid because uh, oh, yeah. we were stacked <laughs> on top of each other in uh, south college station in a neighborhood and you know it wouldn't have been the, the same for those kids out there we mm-hmm. we got a little bit of a land over here and uh, it's just it's been awesome to to be out there talking about land but uh, before we came on came on air this afternoon we were discussing an event that you uh support that's take place takes place on some of your family land and uh, i believe it's a wounded warrior hunt yep. tell us about that man i was that's a neat deal yeah so we we've got a a number of tags that we have to fill each year um out on my in-laws farm and the first couple of years uh, we we filled up a, a walk-in cooler full of of deer and they went to orphanages around the state there's an outfit would come in um, and they would take them to a processor and they went to some orphanages well they ended up um, you know they can utilize the stuff that we get them but um, some bigger high fence type of places that really need to take out some animals got with them and, and so I was approached by the local game warden here about maybe putting on a wounded warrior hunt so absolutely you know we've, we've got this thing we've been doing for these orphanages they're they're pretty good now so uh, we bring in, it's Veteran Outdoors is the organization. They bring in anywhere from 10 to 12 veterans who can bring a youth hunter with them. Um, and that's what, you know, my, my goal is out there is every year to bring as much youth into the outdoors as we can, uh, teach them gun safety, how to harvest an animal, how to treat the animal right, how to clean it, prep it. Um, so we're real big on that. So they, they can bring uh, a child if they want. And we just try to get them on deer. Uh, the wardens come out and are real supportive of the event. Uh, we've had 44 farms donate. We've had uh, some local uh, shops, feed shops, donate corn for it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a community-wide event between Rockdale, Cameron, um, Hearn has, has donated some stuff. So 
it's a really fun event. It's, it's one day. It's, it's not, you know, a public deal. It's just a little private event, but it means a lot to them. It means a lot to us to, to help out veterans sure. that have come back. So if, if someone has a uh, wounded warrior that's a buddy of theirs or a family member, how, how do they sign up for this? Is there, is there a place online? or? Yeah, so the Veteran Outdoor Organization is the one that they would want to contact. Um, they do have a website that they can, they can go through to contact them. And I believe they put on a number of events, the Veteran Outdoors. Ours is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they try to find people that are close enough to drive in for the day. We do a morning hunt, feed them breakfast. Um, the last two years, 44 Farms has donated hamburgers and hot dogs for the lunch part of it. And then we do an evening hunt, and we come back. And this year, uh, Thorndale Meat Market gave us uh, pork steaks, and we had a big smoker out there and cooked a bunch of pork steaks for dinner. And they could kind of hang out and, and have a little bit of community stuff and, and then hit the road. But uh, Veteran Outdoors will be the organization to go through uh, to get to get on for that hunt nice so y'all do the cooking yourself or y'all have some volunteers that volunteer to do that or how do y'all how do y'all work through that so i i get some of my friends that i bring out there that you know are in the same mindset giving back trying to you know be be there for whatever they can and and that's who we get on the cooking crew um i do some of it i'm i'm running people around all over the place it's a pretty big uh farm so i'm kind of on drop-off crew and and tracking crew and you know making sure that everybody's in the right spots and they're not shooting towards each other he, he says a pretty big farm and we have a listening audience from actually all around the world um when he says a big farm picture eleven thousand acres it's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty big farm it is. yeah there's a, there's a lot of land <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> I would think you could spread them out where they wouldn't shoot each other, but hey, you never know. That's right. 11,000 acres. That's right. <laughs> man, how do you not get lost out there, Matt? Uh, it's hard to uh, find your way before shooting light. Uh, so that that's one of the things that I've, I've got to be there for because it's easy to get turned around when it's dark out there. Yeah. Daytime, it's okay. It's a lot of cropland. Uh, but, yeah, before that sun comes up, it, it's easy to get turned around on a, on a place that size. So. Uh, but it it's a lot of fun. Derek here, uh, Doc's next door neighbor, the the local game warden. He's he's the one that puts it on with me, and we. It's a lot of prep work um, for the day, and it's a long day that day of. But it's something that's really fun, uh, and and we have a good time putting it on. Oh, Derek, he's a worker, ain't he? That's it. He's a hustler, no doubt about that's it. Right. He'll get out there and work. That's right. He yeah. he does a phenomenal job as our state game warden here in Milam County. Sure does. He's a good neighbor too. Really he good is. neighbor. Good. I'm glad he's in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you both. <laughs> if you're thinking about running this stop sign down here at Rocktail Road, and <laughs> he, he better be careful because <laughs> Derek will flag you down and write you a ticket from his driveway. Yeah, for him. He's got two young kids. That's and, right. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's just there's some. It, it's not as bad as it used to be in the neighborhood. I just say that. Yeah, the driving yeah. has got much better. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy. oh goodness. So, so y'all do that every year, and and does most everybody usually get a deer? Yeah. So this is about. Uh, we've done it the last two years, um, and the first year we went 14 for 14. So we had a really good year. Uh, this last year it was just a really hot day, and um, you know weather didn't cooperate. But I I want to say we went five of ten um, in that one day that we put it on. Everybody saw stuff, just didn't uh, necessarily get shots at them. So uh, it's 
you know, it's hunting and we do what we can for a one day event, but yeah, it's been, it's been successful. Everyone has a good time and, and the fellowship there is always really good. And so, um, you know, we, we try to get them all an animal, but at least they're in the, in the outdoors. And then, like I said, a lot of the youth hunters have their parents with them and it's, it's just a, a fun, unique experience for them. Yeah. That's, that's cool, man. I'm glad y'all are doing that. That's, uh, you know, we want more people to hunt, right? We want them to learn, learn the right way. And, uh, and a lot of people don't have the opportunity, don't have the land, and mm-hmm. it's going to get harder <laughs> when they're buying land around yeah, here. that's yeah. true. So, no, it's a great, great deal, great cause. And, uh, you know, man, we can't say enough for our Wounded Warriors and all our warriors that have, that have donated their time and, and effort, you know, protecting us while we can Amen sit here that. and talk and do what we want to do Amen and not worry about that's for sure about all this crazy stuff going on in the world yeah hey on the financial side Mm -hmm. uh just quick couple of questions there because i think i'd be our listeners would be like why don't they ask him about some financial tips (laughs) because he's a a financial advisor so uh let's talk about you know 18 19 20 year old person uh what advice would you give them as far as uh starting their investments at, at that young age yeah so well, we try to sit down with any parent that, that has a, a kid that is about to be, you know, graduating high school and going to the workforce, graduating college and going to the workforce. Is if you can live within your means and work it into your budget to start putting away young, the way that every portfolio that any advisor has has gotten big is because of compounding interest over time. So it is the most vital and important thing to building a big portfolio outside of running into a lump sum of money. Yeah. Um, is going to be the time in the market. So timing the market is hard, but the time that you have in the market is, is where your portfolio is going to see great returns over time. So if you can build it in up front and not spend everything you make or spend more than what you make and get into, you know, credit card issues and stuff, that's where, you know, a lot of people are at in today's world. And, and it's getting tougher and tougher with the starting salaries are not great for the right. expenses that you have to pay. Yeah. Um, inflation's kicked back in and so it's you know everything's pretty expensive right now but um if you can you know live on a little less than you make and start putting something away we'd probably recommend a roth ira for it um tax-free to you down the road uh, and if you can put it's 300 dollars a month in uh from the time that you graduate college until 65 you'll have a million dollars of tax-free money sitting there in a roth ira it's a pretty good lump sum of money. That's yeah. a good start. <laughs> hey, I, the chance to run into a lump, lump sum of money is pretty slim because I've been trying to run into a big pile of that for a long time. I've stepped in more cow shit. Yeah, I've run into a lot of other shit besides lump sums of money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. So, beat up. There you go. You know, there's you some good financial advice right there. Yep. Start socking it away. You might want to go down and visit old Matt tomorrow. See if you can't trade in some guitars for some 401k <laughs> or something. I might be able to do a little something. <laughs> uh, we So we I'd say that uh, if somebody's looking for some good financial advice, uh, reach out to Matt. You don't have to live in Rockdale to reach out to no. Matt, man. But now, no. Nowadays, man, he can uh, get on the web, get on the phone, and yep. – uh, be glad to help you out and uh i look forward to kind of coming down and visiting with you sometime in the near future myself and uh, uh try i try to diversify myself as best as possible so never hurts to get another person's uh, opinion absolutely and, uh, i think uh 
think I may have told you my story, my Paul Dixon story. Did I ever tell you my Paul? Mm-hmm. I Cat and I use Paul Dixon. Okay. And, uh, of course, Paul lives in Minerva. I grew up in Minerva. His home was right down the road from where my parents' home was. And as uh, my siblings and I moved away from home, Paul was always real good to my mom and dad, taking care of yeah. them, looking after them, you know, helping them with things. And uh, of course, he coached here for forever. A lot of respect for Paul. And uh, when Paul first got into the business, I was probably mid-30s, uh, 40. You know, we had three young daughters and uh, just uh, unfortunately spending everything we made. <laughs> Paul came knocking on doors. And I said, Paul, man, I, I wish I had some money to invest yeah. with you right now, but I don't. Next year he'd come back. I'm like, Paul, man, I'm just spending everything I earned, you know, survive. I'm not obviously not real wise in the, <laughs> from that aspect. But uh, finally got to a point in our lives where we could start investing money many years ago. And I went to see Paul because I told him, I said, I'll come see you. Yeah. And uh, I went to see Paul and been using Paul. And he's done real, he's done real well for a good man. Yeah. You know, I, and Paul's one of those guys that I can have a conversation. Like if I need to have a conversation with my dad, my dad's died and gone to heaven. I, I can have a father son type conversation with Paul, mm-hmm. you know, so good man. He's helped us out a lot. And, uh, you know, getting to know you, I tell you, great person as well. Appreciate and I, I know if somebody looking for some financial advice, you know, they come see you, you're you going to shoot them straight. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. there's no bullshit. Yeah. Right? He, he graduated yeah. from Rice. Dumb people don't go to the college at Rice. <laughs> Harvard <laughs> on the hill. <laughs> so I, I was going to preface that a while ago, and I'd ask the A&M question if you really wanted to go to A&M. You know, it wasn't an opportunity. But at the end of the day, I mean, you cannot beat a – a education from rice oh absolutely not yeah so the it was kind of a no-brainer for me um when they said that they had a spot um at least for me to come see if i could make the team uh with the step up in education and then the the quality of the program there uh between the two of those it's it was back then about the best place you could be in the country um in that degree I started my career in the wrong town to have that degree. You know, in, in College Station, they look at an A&M degree more than a Rice degree. Oh, yeah. That's probably the only place in the whole world that does that. <laughs> that Aggie bond is tight. Yeah. <laughs> hey, all, all they want to see is a ring. <laughs> oh, right. you got the ring? <laughs> We're in. That's it. That's it. So Here's I, my money. <laughs> I went to the wrong town to start. But yeah, an unbelievable degree. I mean, it took me two years to get any money back out of the guy, but <laughs> – but he's an Aggie. Much <laughs> <laughs> of bad investments. Give <laughs> <Wow. laughs> My dad's an Aggie. My daughter's an Aggie. My sister's an Aggie. We we yeah. we run a little deep with Aggies around here. So, but now Rice is a, man, an unbelievable opportunity to get a good education. Absolutely. And uh, and if I was in the financial, if I was looking for financial advice, that would carry some weight to me. <laughs> yeah. Choose the guy that graduated from Rice. You know he's smart. I don't know many people that qualify to even go there, so <laughs> none of my friends <laughs> are yeah. getting me financial yeah. advice. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Doc, won't you take us out here, man? Well, Matt, uh, glad you came into the studios yes, with sir. us, man. It was fun visiting, man. It's, it's uh, Look forward to uh, playing golf with you some more. Same here. And, uh, man, if you ever need some help uh, on that uh, Wounded Warrior hunt, maybe yeah. some cooking. Uh, yeah. Me and me and old Chief have cooked a few things in our yeah. in our days. Come on. 
and we'd love uh, to help so yeah. uh, we, we'd like to give back and uh, mm-hmm. we're always trying to find a way to do that so very good man appreciate you man yeah thanks for having me it's been fun yes sir we're out we love y'all <laughs>